Quest episode 222. I'm your host, Mike Epps, a.k.a. Wheels, and with me as always. Uh, still struggling to make my way through London, David Bernie Family Master. And trying not to melt over here in Japan, uh, Michael Baker, Gaijimu no Katari. Uh, yeah, sounds like you're having, you're having a real one in terms of heat. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, it's not the heat this time. It's the fact that for the second consecutive day, the entire hourly forecast of rain is at between 95 and 100% chance. Oh, fun. fun I mean, fun, I do fun. like rain, but that seems this like a lot of the second day I've been in a row. It's going to continue at least through tomorrow, possibly through Saturday. By 6 p.m. this evening, we will have had somewhere between 8 and 12 inches in the last 48 hours. Dang. Yeah. Uh, there have been a couple times where the rain almost stopped, and then a couple hours later it decided to make up for that. By raining even harder. Yep. So, yeah, the only time I've actually been outside in the last 48 hours was to throw away the trash during one of the brief windows of not quite rainy this morning. <laughs> so, and to top that all off, during our last actual sunny period, we got to take the daughters to the um, clinic because younger daughter was running a fever. Oh boy. Two days of fever. Oh. Um, to the point where she was like completely knocked out for all of Tuesday, and while she was a lot more energetic on Wednesday, she was just not doing much. Uh, and of course, Wednesday, and Wednesday's when the vaccine side effects caught up with me. Oof. Oh, fun. So I was feeling only slightly less energetic than my second daughter. <laughs> oh. in, in the middle of a massive rainstorm. Yes. So yeah, you've been having better now. a real, a real heck of a week, it sounds like. Yeah. yeah. And to top it all off, I mean, Thursday night was still not rainy, so I... I uh, Kipped out to do um, to stop by one of my convenience stores and just do a bit of riding in the food court area. Yeah. Only to find out that the entire prefecture has gone on 8 p.m. Uh, 8 p.m. restaurant curfew again. Uh. Which means every restaurant and place with sit-down dining potential is closed to that potential at 8 o'clock every evening. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I'm like, gosh, darn it, reservoir. And, um, I'm enough of a regular at that particular family mart that the guys at the cashier were just like, sorry, dude. And, yeah. <laughs> oh, Wheels, uh, you may want this piece of information. Wheels? Yes. Uh, the There's like an option in the menus to make it so that you... It's labeled because it's labeled like text skip or something, but it basically makes it so that you can press a button to get the entire text of the line to go on. Uh, text good. skip in gameplay. Thank you. Yeah. That just makes it so the like, text goes at a much more bearable pace because you can force it to move forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm watching intently because Wheels is playing Ace Attorney. <laughs> it's true, it happened. 
I'm watching. I'm judging. Look. Look at the beautiful box. Oh, that is a very nice box. Yes. I can't see it on RP Gamer, but I'm assuming that you're uh, holding yes. that up to Yes, I forgot. I can only have the camera on one right now. That's fine. Anyway. I love that this character's like just always there's a there's a wind just to make sure that his headband is moving. Yes, that's what I but, always admire about this series. It's very gifable. Everything yeah, is yeah, everything very... is very over the top. I love it. <laughs> the animations are a lot. Um But yeah. Uh I would imagine. Uh, if you haven't seen it okay. before, or if I haven't linked, if I haven't linked to you before, there is a wonderful music video um, mm -hmm. um, that was set to um, images or like an animations from Ace, the original Ace Attorney games, mm. and it it's called the Turntable Turnaround, and it's just hilarious. Check that one out sometime. Oh, I think you did link that at some point. If I haven't linked yeah. it to you, well, almost certainly yes, but. It's worth checking. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I also uh, would like to bring up that I think the most over-the-top animation, possibly in the entire series, uh, is the one at the end of the sixth main game, where, uh, like the last, uh, the last point that you make in court is so powerful it causes like several people to fall over <laughs> <laughs> it's uh they, they were making use of that uh all those 3d models that they could make uh they could do silly things with at that point uh, yeah oh hey uh scars and has uh posted what appears to be a cat What's up, Scar? Go Red Sox. Uh, in any case, uh, so what have we been up to? Have we been video games? Have we been video gaming? Yes. Uh, <laughs> tell us all about it, Wheels. Uh, do you want me to tell me about, do you, oh my god, I can't talk to me. Do you want me to tell, tell you all about the multiplayer games I've played where teammates make me want to take my console that I'm playing and throw it? Only in the most abbreviated fashion. Playing a first-person oh shooter requiring teamwork and Exhibit sticking a. together. Yes. I match, but get promptly, and then... When, understandably, you lose the match, said teammate, saying, man, you guys are throwing, I, I had them all week. <laughs> you had Leroy Jenkins. Yes. Natural Leroy Jenkins. So, yeah, I think I'm going to be playing some, some non-multiplayer games for a while, because I'm starting to lose my mind to these sorts of people. Uh, I'm tired of these jokes about my giant hands. Your wife to see the model exists. Yeah, I've been playing some Monster Hunter stories too, which is still wonderful. And while well, waiting for my uh, car to get an oil change, I just I spent like most of the time playing the game, just like 
messing with the uh, the, the right of channeling it's called, but basically it's sort of like I don't want to call it fusion because it's not really like demon fusion or anything like that. It's more you it, it's a mechanic that solves the problem of you're going to have all these extra monsters and how how do we make them have some sort of importance other than garbage you're just going to basically throw away. And so how the mechanic works is you can essentially merge a monster into one you want to keep and there's like a grid of quote-unquote genes and you can t pick one to merge into the other monster to make it more powerful uh so long story short there's a lot of mechanics and um based around that like if you get three genes in a row of the same color it gives you an extra bonus and it's kind of addicting and yeah like i like i said it gives you something to do with all these extra monsters you're going to catch but probably never put in your party so you can kind of <laughs> just get get rid of them but in a useful way so uh this this was in the original game and but i didn't use it that much and uh because of limited uh stable space in this one i j just was like okay i'm going to literally dump every monster not currently into my party and you know spend some time trying to get the hang of it and it's it's pretty cool uh I, like i've said many times the original monster Hunter stories is definitely very underrated and um i'm hoping people aren't sleeping on this one but based on uh some of the uh sales i've heard of it i, I it's, it seems like it's definitely found a bigger audience so it's cool to see uh, it's it's very much one of the much better uh, Pokemon-like games uh, that you'll probably play in, in a long time. So, still highly recommended. Um, other than that, as far as RPGs, um, I started up. Um, the new Shadowverse RPG, which I'm going to play on the stream a little bit after Ace Attorney. Which is basically an RPG where you're like in some kind of school, like real-life school, and involves the actual card game Shadowverse in some manner. Um, seems seems like they're trying to... RPG. It seems like they're kind of trying to ape another card-based anime... Mm. In some ways, mm. but we'll see how it goes. Any specific card game anime you're thinking of? Because mm. there's like twelve. Oh, the big one. <laughs> the big one. Of course. Yeah, but I mean, since Shadowverse is a much stronger card game than Yu-Gi-Oh, um, I'm guessing <laughs> I will enjoy this this game quite a lot because I do do enjoy me some Shadowverse. So. Uh, we'll see how it goes. Um, it's, a lot's going to depend on like how well the AI actually plays the game. But I mean, in in a game like this, a game like this with probably a more limited set of cards available for deck building, um, I'm sure they can manage it a bit better than like the actual card game where you can make a deck with like a all your whole collection of cards and just stomp over anything. So. Um, 
So far, so good. Our although, game uh, RPG that's nothing but cube. <laughs> so far, so good, although there's been lots of talking, <laughs> and I have yet to play an actual match. <laughs> so yeah, uh, that's about it for me as far as RPGs I've been playing. Um, I've still been playing lots of Pokemon Unite, and it's quite fun. So, You've been defeated by me. a 10-year-old not Marvel combat. Well, at least there's no voice chat for me to hear them. So what you're saying <laughs> is yes. Yeah, most likely. I mean, you know. Given, given the nature of things. Yeah. But yeah, um, been having a lot of fun with that, and some of the streamers I that used to stream games from certain disgraced companies are now streaming like Pokemon Unite. Uh, exclusively so that's it's pretty fun cool to see cool to see this game taken on they're taken off so yeah that's about it somebody else I've talk played no rpg i've only <laughs> been playing great ace attorney uh well, I am on... well luckily for you that counts because of adventure corner it's true i'm on case three of game two uh I look with trepidation at the dark future where I will have no idea what my next Ace Attorney fix will be. Uh, <laughs> not really ready for it, but going to have to live with that. I've lived with it many times before. Uh, it's it's really good so far. I've been enjoying every time that I get, like... There's all sorts of details that love hinting at, like, the actual books, but, like, sometimes it'll just be... Yeah, we just stole a name from a story we're not adapting because, like, it's just to sort of show that, yes, this is written by someone who cares a lot. So, like, uh, one of the cases I just was doing uh, brings up uh, Enoch Drebber, which is one of the victims of a study in Scarlet, which... Uh, yeah, uh, people don't read the book, read the novels very much. <laughs> but that is, that that story is weird uh, in part because it's the first Sherlock Holmes, and so it's written from the perspective that you don't know who Sherlock Holmes is, uh, which it means that the first couple chapters it is unclear what Sherlock Holmes does. Watson spends them trying to work out what Sherlock Holmes' job is, which is. Strange to read with modern eyes. <laughs> that story, I also want to bring up the fact uh, Sherlock Holmes badmouths uh, fictional detectives from the time, several of which are uh, essentially entirely forgotten to uh, at least you English speakers. Uh, I Except don't. For the story. Yeah, kind of, but I mean, like, not a lot of people actually read A Study in Scarlet, but, uh, yeah, I don't think I that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but relatively rare. Um, yeah. but yeah, like, when he starts, like, shit-talking Monsieur Lecoq, it's like, huh, okay, well, that's, that's just no context now for me. <laughs> but, yeah, just, just very, uh, a lot of a lot of strange uh, references to be found 
throughout the games. Uh, the games are still teasing at the events of the Hound of the Baskervilles. I'm convinced that will be the crux of the final case, so exciting. <laughs> I wonder what Shu Takumi's favorite Sherlock Holmes story is. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um... So yeah, uh, I've been also just enjoying noting some of the other things, like uh, the fourth case, which I haven't gotten to in Great Ace Attorney 2, is uh, named for the canonical last story of uh, that Sherlock Holmes was in, which honestly isn't actually much of a mystery. Uh, his last bow is more like a World War One era spy story. And it's hmm. uh, kind of a, like, it's, it's, it's not the last Sherlock Holmes story written, but it's the last one in terms of, like, taking place. Uh, but it did get me thinking about uh, one of the other things that the game is playing in as much as there is one, which is uh, if this game comported with the original canon, at least in terms of when it's taking place, uh, Sherlock Holmes would likely be in his early 50s in this game, but he is only 33, I think, in this. So they, they uh, in order to make it take place uh, very smack in the Meiji era, they also uh, had to uh, make Sherlock a little younger to... Uh, what they were going for. But yeah, just, just some thoughts that have strayed through my mind. But it's really good. Uh, nothing nothing but good things to say about it. Uh, Wheels is about to get to bask in all of Ryunosuke's, like, absolutely, like, terrified-looking animations. So. Have fun. They'll be, they'll be fun. Oh, also, I need to bring up... Uh, the second game reveals that this the Japanese judge has a name. And when I read it, I thought that it was fucking with me. <laughs> because his name is Judge mm -hmm. Igoku. Which sure, why not? Judge what? Judge Jigoku. <laughs> judge Jigoku. Yeah, Judge Jigoku. Jigoku. Uh, okay. <laughs> But yeah, like it was the okay. Jigoku part that completely destroyed my brain because I was like, is is he named Judge Hell? <laughs> and the answer is I'm curious, maybe. What was the Japanese name originally? Oh, his name has not changed. He is, as far as I can tell, he is one of the characters whose oh, name okay. has not changed. Because if they decided to name him like Enma. In English, <laughs> Japanese, that'd be kind of fun too. Oh, absolutely. But, yeah, I mean, like usually when they, like the Japanese names that they pick out for uh, incidental characters, uh, are always names that form puns in English, as opposed to like different Japanese. Names. Just love how much Ryanosuke's uh, eyes just sort of bug around uh, during his trial. 
But yeah, uh, so that's what I've been playing. What have you been up to, guys? Hmm? Me? Yeah. I'm still doing four princesses over here. Makes sense. So I've I managed to get a uh, managed to roll credits once. I'm not sure how or why. Mm -hmm. Or uh, exactly what I did wrong with my princess raising that this princess turned into a possessed megalomaniacal uh, overlord who had to be put down. Wow. Um, yeah. I mean, she came to her senses, but then actually begged me to kill her. Oh, that's dark. Yeah. That went to a place. So, um... <laughs> As it turns out, this game has like a 10-hour turnaround total. So I'm trying for a second playthrough, just to see what happens. <laughs> Fair enough. Especially since I neglected some aspects of it the first time and had some characters who were very under-leveled. Sounds, sounds like fun. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, I'm just, I'm just thinking about Brady's so. <laughs> Oh dear. <laughs> what's this? What's this? What you got the? What's your oh dear for wheels? Nothing. Uh, but I would... Let's see. Uh, so uh, I guess we should. Also briefly mentioned, Nintendo did an indie showcase as of the day of this recording. Uh, there weren't a lot of RPGs in it, but it felt... Well, there were some. Uh, I was very confused by this Shovel Knight thing. Well, that that was revealed a while ago. I had never this seen this. Shovel Knight yeah. Pocket Dungeon. It's some weird... It looks like a combination of a roguelike and a puzzle game. Yeah. Looks neat. Sounds like shovel. Very confusing. <laughs> uh, but yeah, not not a lot of RPGs. The only other one in that presentation I can think of. I don't know what Loop Hero is. Uh, I'm seeing card-based RPG, so something for wheels is. Uh, and as for other things that are RPGs. The only other RPG that I think I saw in that uh, presentation was Boyfriend Dungeon, which I am not equipped to talk about. Um... <laughs> yeah, we need to get, we need to get um, Becky in to talk about that one. <laughs> but yeah, which isn't or, to say there were... It seems, it seems more like their wheelhouse. <laughs> Something like that. Uh... But yeah, uh, which isn't to say that there wasn't other interesting things, but none of them were RPGs. Which is to say, uh, I'm excited for the thing that looks like someone said, what if we made Jet Set Radio and hope Sega didn't notice? <laughs> so, uh, apparently Jet Set Radio means Bomb Rush Cyberpunk. So. But yeah. Uh, just just wanted to make sure that didn't go unmentioned. We usually end up talking about any sort of Nintendo Direct or uh, state of play or E3 or whatever. So bring that up. Just get that out of the way. Uh, we don't have a lot of questions. Hmm. Is this a real name of a treaty? 
Anglo-Japanese uh, Treaty of Friendship and Navigation, does it say? Yeah, Navigation. Uh, I would imagine it's probably not made up. <laughs> See, yeah, Ang it ha might have, you might translate that name differently, but... Uh, yeah, it went into force in July of 1899, the Anglo-Japanese Treaty of Commerce and Navigation. So yeah, as of when this case is taking place, that would have happened a few months ago. <laughs> so yeah, uh, in general, you can usually assume that anything that this game uses that's heavily reliant on dates, it was carefully written to be at least like within the within a year or so ballpark of the correct date. Mm. Uh, yeah. So it's actually educational. Yeah, you can learn so much about uh, when certain poisons were discovered in uh, by Europeans and Japanese people. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, uh, it's it's very carefully. Using Agatha Christie as a primer for pharmacology. <laughs> <laughs> uh, very carefully written. Uh... But yeah. Uh... Oh, hey, Pew. Thank you for subscribing for three months. Oh, man. Subscriber number two. What an all-star. But subscriber number one in your What? True. True. <laughs> Sounded briefly confused. <laughs> um... My brain Hold is up. tired, and jokes are f that normally I would get immediately are flying over my head. This is a great way to start an Ace Attorney case. <laughs> well, that's how the, your main character usually looks in those cases, so, so it's a perfect <laughs> state of mind to be in. Yep. Need to find... There we go. I found them. Uh, oh, here's one that's going to end up a loaded question when it gets to context of the following question. And we also may uh, fight and die in its honor. Yeah. Uh, this one, number 10, which Wii RPG do you think is hampered the worst by motion control? Have you ever ran into RPGs that really dealt with motion controls much? I'm trying to think of like we I mean, are some of the action RPGs, but yeah, but none of those were. Most of those weren't good to begin with. <laughs> uh, uh, Valhalla Knights for the Wii. There you go. That would have been bad too. That would have been bad regardless. <laughs> yeah, just reminding people that that exists. There were so many Valhalla Nights games for some reason. I reviewed one on Vita. It was not good. I remember uh, there was a period where you're essentially your only options for PSP RPGs were uh, Blade Dancer and Valhalla Nights. Oh, good. That was a bad time. Uh, but, yeah. Original uh, Skyward Sword Pew. Just shaking no. my fist in your general direction. 
Uh, you're about to be uh, shaking your fists in uh, in Fireminer's general direction because the follow-up question is, on the other hand, how well would Final Fantasy Crystal Bearers play if it was remade as VR type? Uh, if it's got head tracking, if anything, I think it would become more confusing. Yes. Uh, Pew suggests Daytona. That's not an RPG. Nor horizontally. Hold on. There's so many problems. There's so many flaws in the suggestion. Hold on. There's about to be music blaring on all channels. You're going to have to cut this out of the recording, by the way. Why? Because it's going to be like two to playing the Daytona theme. That's, I'm not going to play like 10 seconds of it. Okay. Okay. Where <laughs> Daytona! Okay, that's enough of that. Uh, all right, what was the question again? The question was, uh, how mm -hmm. would... How well would Final Fantasy Crystal Bears play if it was remade as AD? Uh, uh, not well. <laughs> my, my honest opinion is, even if you take out the head tracking, like part of the issue that VR is still getting through is like one of the things that held back the Wii was like the immaturity of the technology, but a lot of it was also just the immaturity of the design. Like people didn't really know how to make motion-controlled games. And they still, like, they're still learning it back because we just sort of, like, all stopped making motion control games. And so a lot of the VR games are basically, like, even less complex Wii games. <laughs> like, that's why the VR game that has stuck out to me the most as, like, a really worthwhile experience was, like, Resident Evil 7. Like, that was the only thing that felt like it was meant to be an actual game rather than a tech demo. I cannot, ima I cannot imagine playing that game in VR. It's uh, freaky enough playing it without VR. Oh, man, it's incredible. It's especially good because uh, the head tracking is used to, like, center your gun. So if you're shaking or, like, panicked, your aim gets worse. <laughs> So that's fun. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like, I, I would honestly hold that uh, the uh, I, I, I would honestly hold that it would probably not honestly be that much better. Uh, the things that the primary thing that I recall being used by Crystal Bearers was the pointer tip functionality, which was the most uh, consistent thing that, that we had. Like, if you could point and shake, it works. So, mm -hmm. oh boy, you get to you get to cross-examine your first set of witnesses. This is gonna uh, go great. <laughs> It'll be great. It'll be fine. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, oh man, he's really been deep into the wee hole at this point. Uh, I haven't thought about Gambarian for quite a while. Uh, yeah, it's like I had to remember exactly what the game was, and I actually reported on it. Yeah, I remember Pandora's Tower. I just like hadn't thought about its developer in a dog's age. Uh, the for the audience's benefit. Question, will Gambarium make uh, original games again instead of licensed titles? It seems like they haven't done anything original since Pandora's Tower. Uh, that just kind of happens a lot, because uh, licensed titles are much more uh, stable than trying to make an original IP. Uh, I was going to say they're safer, and very often there is a reason why the development studio is not allowed to do its own original titles, because of the safety factor. Um, yeah. I'm, you, I'm, you get I'm remembering those sort of, Alpha System. Uh, poor Alpha System. Poor, poor regrettable Alpha System sometimes. <laughs> hey, um, that was actually a, a point that I made in the Linda Cubed review. It's like this is like they a, don't this let you off the leash. an example of what happens when you uh, when you give it full creative when you give the studio full creative authority, and it's also a very good example of why they have not been allowed to make anything original in over a decade. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so. it's it's very hard to get an original project greenlit, uh, especially with any sort of cold pitch process that would have to happen for a company like Dumbadio. So, yeah, I, I would not assume that they're going to be moving back into uh, that field in a while. Like, I think their most recent game was a One Piece game. And, I mean, that probably did just fine for them. Yeah. It's, uh, it feels hard to go wrong trying to sell a One Piece game. But then again, it was trying to sell a One Piece game uh, as a PS4, Xbone, and Windows game. <laughs> which was maybe... Uh, well, I'll just say, uh, if you're making a One Piece anything... A good ninety percent of your audience is in Japan, but yeah, yeah. That, that was also probably down to what Namco wanted because that's the nature of that kind of contract. So, um, okay, what's the question number thirteen? Now that I have started to be nostalgic for the aughts, when will FF10 2 become cool again? You should watch the compilation early 2000s J-pop hits, and FF10 2 hits all the same notes. Uh, the problem is that for it to become cool again, people would have to be uh, would have to have uh, been cool less place. venomous towards it to start with. <laughs> I love FF10 and... 2, but uh, that was a controversial game from the outs. I, I, I did my best to try and like it, but I just couldn't react fast enough to the real to the RTS setup for items even. <sighs> and, it's a, it's a um, fast FF game. It is. Uh, also, thank you Hollywood for resubbing for three months. Subscriber number three. Yeah. Yay! And um, also, I just wish that all of, that the original content in the game was actually more original. And not just very... blocky corridors. 
Well, that was the original game yeah. as well, but uh, that's kind of the thing, is that, like, Tentu no, needs to be under... Though, I mean, I mean uh, like, anything that's not absolutely main plotline content that's extra in that game is, like, very obviously it is a blocky corridor. That's it. Yeah, I just, I get the exact same feeling from FF10, because most of those environments are recycled, because that is a game that was made on a budget. Um, that's kind of the thing that needs yeah. to be, that no, Tentu no, needs I mean, to I'm, be. I'm talking about stuff that actually is not from Final Fantasy No, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. But... Like, I'm just saying, like, that's because, like, the reason there's so little new uh, environment design, the reason so much of the game's, like, models and environments and all of that jazz is pulled straight from FF10 is that Square was in a bad way after FF Spirits Within. Mm -hmm. I remember, I've, I'm never able to find the actual news story cit citing this, but... When they first floated the idea, I recall them announcing two different FF10 One starring Yuna and one starring Riku. And then, like, a year and a half later, they were like, here's FF10 too. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, dire financial straits, a uh, big uh, issue for that game. Uh, I think it's always going to be divisive because it's an extremely different, extremely weird game that uh, doesn't always do what it's trying to do, uh, but mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I, I don't think uh, there, there's a much longer like discussion to be had. Like I'll pull in the next. Uh, I'll pull in like because like you're bringing up uh, compilation of early uh, J-pop hits, uh, like that sort of thing. That entire aesthetic, I, I think that will come back to some extent. Uh, at least among uh, the nostalgic uh, Western fan set. <laughs> but uh, I guess one of the things I would bring up is that, like, the reason that there was so much backlash towards it is one that's, like, still an ongoing thing, I guess. So it's, like, one of those... It's hard for it to really come back in force anyway. But I don't want to get too deep into like my personal assumptions about uh, about why it's uh, uh, about why there was like because there was a big backlash against the Japanese style RPG, essentially through the mid to late on. And into the early towns. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of reasons for that, and that would be a long time to describe. Uh, Wheels is very slowly looking at a restaurant layout. Um, uh, keep that card in mind. Wait, wait. Uh, I'll be right back. Keep going. Uh, See, uh, we'll hit into the next one because it's somewhat related. Uh, given FF's obsession with brands and commercial products between 10 to 15, could we say that Nomura is a trend chaser who has aspirations to be a trendsetter? And if so, did he fail? Uh, I would say that it was more just that he really likes fashion 
and that that inevitably influenced the look of the characters that he created. So, on some sense, you could call yeah, that a trench chaser, but... Say what? It's not... I was going to say, yeah, he he has his own style, the things that he likes. He's not necessarily trying to make people like it. Yeah. Like, I think this is cool. I think you'd like it. It's very much... I, I feel like it's one of those things, like... I feel like his style would have changed a lot more with the times, if that were the case. And, like, there there have been, of course, changes in the kinds of things that he... Uh, the styles for characters he puts together, but they're not entirely in line with Japanese trends. They just seem to be the things that he likes. But, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. And, I mean, like, there's there was also, like, a wider uh, square push for that. Because, like, a lot... Like, you look at something like you know, you're starting with FF10 2, a game that the only thing he did was do some character designs. Uh, and it's just like, there's there's some stuff where it's like, clearly Square was attempting to engineer this, which is why you'll get things like that time that they made like a weird deal with Louis Vuitton about uh, FF13. That was weird. Or the... Uh... I remember they made a deal with the like the, one of the Japanese so, um, cell phone producers to make their own like model specifically for Advent children. Yeah, cloud cell phone that's really prominently featured. <laughs> yes, um, they, that thing was available for sale. Yeah, um, yeah. There was a, there was an available model about ten years ago. Yeah, I would not. I would not I in any way believe anything less than that was available because the amount of times that it's featured yeah. just taking center stage on the screen, it's like you better be selling that. True. Otherwise, I don't know why true, you bother. True story. <laughs> true story. A couple of years ago, a friend of mine in a writing group was trying to. Uh, I mean, it was a, like a science fiction superhero kind of thing, and he was like, "Oh, I really want this character to have a cell phone like the one in Advent Children. Do you think that was possible?" And I'm like, "Dude." Um, here, eBay. <laughs> yeah. It's there. And yeah, it, it I need to look up what that model it. is. Yeah, that for the Panasonic uh, FOM P900IV. That sounds about right. Yep. Yep. Uh, so you end up with some sort of like chicken or egg about like, did they pursue this because of the more like fashion contest designs or did they uh end up pursuing uh you know it's, it's there's a lot of questions about that but like honestly uh it's very clear that eventually square went all in on like well this could be a revenue stream we need to do this which uh As square so often did yeah often consider polymorphic content can we all just consider that phrase for just a moment and how horrible it was? Mm -hmm. they, they needed, like, uh, a term for just, we made way too much multimedia nonsense. Yeah, let me see if I can... Oh god, the Wikipedia page for them still says that their business strategy is polymorphic content. Oh, that's hellish. The hell do you mean? Uh, it was a horrible neologism that 
uh, square, like, trotted out around the era of, like, compilation of FF7 and Fabula Nova Crystallis about this idea of, like, multimedia franchises that are cons concepted, essentially, as being, like, a million different things. Uh, which... Like looking at the list of things that are that Wikipedia is citing here is kind of incredible. Uh, compilation of Final Fantasy VII, World of Mana, Evilise Alliance, Fabula Nova Crystallis, and Code Age. That, that's one that did not take. Uh, I believe, yeah, there was a brief uh, manga in the manga magazine that Square Enix owned. Uh, Gon Gon. Uh, I don't know how long it ran. Doesn't seem like very long. There was a mobile game circa like 2005. Uh, and there was a PS2 game that they didn't even bother localizing. They just gave up. Also circa 2005, hmm. because it was a PS2 game. But, yeah, uh, the, the fashion-conscious... Uh, Square is fully in line with the polymorphic content Square Enix. Uh, okay, now that Wheels is back. Uh, okay, here's here's one that speaks to my heart. It may in fact have happened because I wouldn't shut the hell up about Skies of Arcadia. Uh, any reasons why we have dozens of ports and remasters for Genesis and System 16? I think that's supposed to be what that is. Games that can't even get a re-release on modern consoles for Kaiser Arcadia. Uh, much easier to write emulators. Mm-hmm. That would probably be the main issue, is just how to get it to work on the new system to begin with. Yeah, so, like, any Skies of Arcadia port kind of has to be... Like, they're not going to pour the money that they did into, like, while well, we're putting, like, Sonic uh, Adventure and, like, all those forward because they're Sonic games and we can expect people to buy them essentially in perpetuity. Uh, it would have to be... The, like, it would... They would only do it as part of an emulation, I feel like. And Sega has very little call for right Dreamcast in layers. Uh... It wouldn't be the hardest thing in the world. It would be a pain. Okay. So was Skies of Arcadia only on one system, or was it ever? It was also on GameCube. But that's it. Dreamcast. Okay, GameCube, so it has at least have. been ported in the past. So. Yeah. yeah, but the time that it was ported in the past was one, literally two years after it first came out, and two, in preparation for a sequel that they then can't because it sold too poorly. So. Mm -hmm. No, that, I'm just thinking, um, I mean, if it, was, if it was only ever on a single system, then it could have been just that the, that single system was really difficult to emulate, but at least they have proven that it is portable. Oh, yeah, GameCube emulation does exist. I mean, Nintendo did it itself not that long ago, but... I mean, we got the Grandia games. Um, I'm not sure yeah. how that much for that personal thing, but yeah. Uh, the Grandia... Uh, two port i am convinced like probably started from the ps2 versions code base and then moved forward from there 
just because of some of the uh, weird quirks about it. I was just going to say, yeah. But then again, no, wait, actually, I realized just where it actually came from, actually. That PS2 version, around the same time, the same company ported it to PC. That version is probably the basis of the modern version. Uh, but yeah, uh, for Grandia 1, it seems like they took the PS1 port and then made some, uh, added in some bells and whistles from the Saturn version on a, like, case by case basis. Uh, let's see. But yeah, uh, like, the other thing is, of course, that Sega has internally and externally written, like, 15 Genesis emulators. Like, they were writing, Sega was writing Genesis emulators for the Dreamcast. That Genesis emulator is terrible and does awful, awful things to the sound. But, like, it's just one of those things, like, it it pays dividends to do because they can release, like, some gigantic-ass collection that has, like, three games that weren't on the last one. Sell it on a new console or put it on Steam or whatever. Uh, there's just not as many things that they're interested in. Like, when they bring back Dreamcast games, they usually do something to them, like Shenmue 1 and 2. It, it just doesn't happen uh, without that sort of intervention. Uh, same with, like, System 16. It's, like, it's also why you don't see, like, them ever try to emulate, like, their weirder arcade but have games that no one cares about on them. Like, you kind of have to bring up the, like, Super Scalar games uh, because those are popular, but once you get into, like, uh, their later 90s, like, it's much rarer to see Model 2 games, Model 1 games, or even the rare Model 3 games. Uh, even though those were incredibly iconic for Sega. Uh, like, Sega Model 1 had uh, Virtua Fighter, Virtua Racing. Like, those are super important games. You almost never see them come back. Uh, Model 2... Uh, I think the only time you see, like, Model 2 games come back is uh, in Yakuza games, basically. Uh, because, uh, and I'm convinced that's because those games are things that Toshihiro Nagoshi worked on. Like, those are where he cut his teeth. So, uh, I think that he has, like, a more personal investment in bringing some of them back. But, they, uh, they're, they're not common. Uh, you're never going to see, like, STV uh, games come back because uh, those are too similar to Saturn. They're too complicated. Is that what that arcade board is called, STV? Yeah, Sega Titan video. Uh, I think that's the one that's basically... Yeah, this one's got multiple VDPs. This is a drink app. This is a... This is Sega Saturn. Um, so, you know, say goodbye to... Cotton 2, or listen, I'm just going to start listing games that I care about and no one else. Uh, Die Hard Arcade. You're just, uh, just not going to see them again. Uh, because they're complicated and expensive. Uh, and, like, that's also why it's so Everything rare that... Everything within, with a earlier chipset, right? 
Yeah, like, I mean... Because you run in... with a um, personal chipset. Yeah. yeah, pretty much. I mean, like, even the, the yes. model... Oh, sorry, what? Oh, no, I'm saying please continue. Oh, yeah, like, even I'm saying... I'm remind everyone that, I still, that I'm still alive over here. <laughs> That's important. The humidifier is doing a good job, though. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh... Oh, sorry, sorry about that. Oh, don't worry about it. <laughs> you put the humidifier next to the dehumidifier and see what happens. Uh... Oh, no, the humidifier is the rain outside. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, the... Okay, okay, sorry, sorry. No worries. Uh, but uh, the model, the the like the model one was a chipset designed by like Lockheed. Like nothing looks like that. It's an extremely peculiar uh, object by any standard, basically. <laughs> uh, and so you know, like they. Uh, I'll put it this way, Yakuza brings uh, Virtua Fighter 2, a Model 2 game, forward, because Virtua Fighter 2 is so important that Sega will let them fritter away money doing that. But it's not something that happens that often uh, for a reason. I'm trying to remember the only... Uh, I'm trying to remember what model of arcade board that the the virtual on ran on because that's the weirdest deep cut appeared in a recent Yakuza game. Uh, Cyber Trooper virtual on was a model to be CRX, which means that it was closely related to Virtual Fighter 2, and that's why they were able to do it. There were some, like, slight alterations between uh, different versions of the Model 2, uh, the 2A and 2B CRX, uh, that seem to have uh, been similar, although, like, generally the same family of processors, basically. Uh, yeah, uh... Very strange, uh, like, yeah, this, this is why we don't get to see these anymore. Uh, they're... Sega had too big of an R&D department in the 90s. <laughs> and that's why yes. they have, like, five competing arcade boards at any given time, most of which are doing kind of the same things. Like, a healthier R&D department from Sega probably would have looked more like Capcom's R&D department if they had the CPS-1. And then the CPS-2. And then briefly the CPS-3 before deciding that we had no future and moving to Sega's own Naomi. It's just a dreamcast. But, yeah. It, it took a very long time for Sega to finally pare down to we're just supporting Naomi. And even then they couldn't really uh, fully commit to that because they also had uh, Hikaru and Chihiro. Just, like, they needed to trim down that R&D department. Jesus. Uh, which one of these, like, the Sega Hikaru, like, they would make these arcade, they would make dozens of arcade boards, and they would, not dozens, but, like, they would make all these arcade boards, and they would 
they would power like five games. Like, I don't think any of these games ever got ported anywhere because they're brave firefighter fighters and planet harriers. Like, just completely forgotten. But, yeah. Pretty sad. Yeah, Planet Harriers is probably the closest thing to an actual Space Harrier sequel. And it's never been re-released. Uh, and here's another one that's just only I can answer and I will keep it quick because I'm the only one here that played Skies of Arcadia. Um, <laughs> if you can modernize something of Skies of Arcadia, what would it be? Ship combat is on the top of my list. Uh, faster combat, just, just give me a speed up button and a uh, shrunken encounter rate. Uh, because, you know, it's just, uh, like, it's slow is the game's biggest problem. Like, even the ship combat, like, it's simple, but I think that it's being simple is kind of the point. And so I'm not really against it being simple, and I think it kind of should stay simple. But it just, it just needs to be faster. That's it. That's all. Uh, and that's why... Uh, I fully recommend playing it in Dolphin with uh, with a big speed up button. Let's see. Uh, okay, let's throw one that we can all have something to say about. Uh, the most hilarious case of using slash abusing status of effects on yourself or enemy. On yourself. Hmm. Yourself or enemies, both are acceptable. And status effects being positive as well. Yeah, if that's an abuse. Well, I mean, there's this one that you could do in Romancing Saga 2. Yeah. Where um, there was a spell called Dragon Pulse, which gave a massive boost to all stats. And mm -hmm. it was stackable. So you could use it oh, like God. five times on yourself and massively boost out your stats. And the effect was supposed to be dispelled as soon as you make an actual attack. Mm. Um, the thing is, there was also a weapon in the game, I believe it's the Amethyst Axe, which has an ability called Phantom Fighter. And Phantom Fighter creates a, um, basically a flash copy of yourself at the time of casting to stand in your place and do everything to attack until it is destroyed by reducing hit points to zero, and then you're, you come back as the main fighter there. So, but since it makes basically a flash copy of yourself at the point when you cast it, it continues with all status effects and ability boosts intact without any, um, without any bits where you can remove those effects. So, like, if you're blinded and you cast the spell, then the copy is permanently blinded until it is dismissed by killing it. And if your stats have been boosted literally past the maximum to where if we were doing a Dr Dungeons & Dragons system, you'd probably be at like a 30 strength with a plus whatever that is strength bonus. Um, hmm. Then, yeah, your copy has that in perpetuity as long as it survives. Wow. <laughs> so um, this, this, is one of the, uh, this is one of the regular strategies for beating the final boss of Romancing Saga 2. Since mm -hmm. the first stage of the final boss is generally fairly um, low power, yeah. so you can have you can have everyone just being defensive and keeping everyone else alive, and have this your one axe user 
just cast Dragon Pulse three or four times in a row, and then Phantom Fighter on the fifth round, and then suddenly <laughs> they're like a a two um, like a two tech point cost uh, X attack like Yo Yo is doing over four thousand damage <laughs> per hit. Yeah. And as soon as uh, as soon as the copy is destroyed, very next round they can do it again, <laughs> because officially the effect is still on because they have they have not attacked yet. <laughs> true, they haven't. <laughs> yep. So as soon as the copy is destroyed, hey, they can cast Phantom Fighter again, and the fighter still has all the boosts in effect. <laughs> I was also yep. thinking of a saga game, uh, mostly any like chicanery done with the. Uh, overdrive spell in Pocket Frontier. Which, yes. uh, you can get real dumb with that. Very similar abusability. Yeah. Very similar abusability. Uh, another one that stuck, that came to mind is something you could do to enemies. Uh, the infamous Vanish bugs in FF6. Yep. Which is supposed to be a normal the status effect, it's just... It becomes a one-two setup for instant death on everything. Yeah, that's just... No, that's fun. <laughs> yep. Mm. Let's see. Anything else that was good? Um... Let's see... In games that have a zombie-type status, setting it up so that the bosses accidentally kill themselves by healing. <laughs> That's always fun. Yeah. Much more annoying when the boss does it to you. I'm looking at you, Seymour. Um, yeah, Seymour. Uh, the third one. Was. Third Seymour. <laughs> yes, yeah. does remind me of, uh, I can't remember if this actually is, how functional this actually is, but I do remember uh, because of the way regen actually works in FF7, setting it up and then doing a long summon to just, like, allow your characters to recover while the summon was playing out. That's kind of, like, less, less absolute shenanigans, but more just, uh, amusing as like uh this is a mostly intended side effect but also kind of fun but yeah wheels you got any uh what was the question again uh the most hilarious case of using or abusing status affliction on yourself or enemies uh, yeah, I do not have a great one for that. Okay, that's fair. Um, um, can't think of anything else. Uh, I know it's just so, it's so rare that good status effects are or good um, status effect attacks actually work on bosses in any of these games. 
Yeah, uh, they're used a lot in SMT, but that's also never an abuse. It's always just how intended game design. Yeah. I, I just remember how much of a, of a shock it was to the community that the boss of Final Fantasy thirteen was, like, supposed to be poisoned if you wanted to survive that battle. Yeah, that's, like, they kind of had to because they had an entire, like, one of your six possible roles was character who only casts status effects. Yeah. No, but I mean, like, you, it's like you have to destroy that thing before a certain time limit is reached, and the only way to do yeah. that is to constantly erode its influence with poison. And yeah. so many of us were, at the time, were not used to using poison at all in a Final Fantasy game because it was almost always worthless. You've been trained not to do it. Yeah. Whereas Grandia 2, I had some fun with, like, certain weapons had certain status effects involved, and that was always fun. Hmm. Um... Okay, well, if general field effects are included, then I have to say some of the stuff involving the laws in Final Fantasy Tactics Advance. Oh, yeah, you could do some real silly stuff with that. Yeah, not the, not the second one, just the first one. Um, yeah. Like, if you know that you've got a fire-wielding wizard in your next battle, just arrange it so that you start that battle on a day where fire is illegal. Get them red-carded immediately. Yep. Uh, yeah, that that also reminds me of some of the shenanigans that you can pull with uh, geo panels in certain Disgaea battles. I remember one of the early gr game grind tips for Disgaea One being there's like one fight in the game where the gimmick is ninety percent of the battlefield is built around is invulnerable. Uh, and so you, like, throw a bunch of enemies in, uh, into each other so that they get too strong for you to actually take out normally, because it would just take forever and you'd get killed immediately, but box them into an area where they're on the only non-invincibility panels. Like that kind <laughs> of nonsense. And here's another one that's right down the middle, just for wheels. After two Destiny games, what lessons can Bungie learn to make Destiny 3 better? Uh, don't make Destiny 3, for starters. Wow. Uh, wow. It's a live service game. There is no reason to go up to a 3. In fact, take the, name, take the number 2 out of it and just call it Destiny again. <laughs> but they they still support when did they officially cease support for Destiny 1? I assume it's still playable uh, right around when Destiny 2 came out yeah I think that pissed a lot of people off it doesn't make any sense it's it's a live service game you just keep adding on content like you know if you need to do like a soft reboot where you you know, switch to a new, a new, an updated graphics engine or something like that. You can do it, but there's no reason to do a Destiny three. There shouldn't be yeah. a Destiny three. Makes zero sense. But yeah, uh, like that's kind of the issue with live service games. Very hard to convince people to move up because, like, that's the point where they reevaluate whether they want to continue at all. Yeah. Put that barrier investment. It's just well, God only knows how many players you'll have on the other side. Mm -hmm. 
One of my favorite uh, things that they did with .hackGU is that one of the community message board threads you can find in the game is someone saying, like, I don't like this new version of this MMO as much as the old one. I wish that I wish they would just put up a legacy server of the old one so I could just play that instead. And you can tell that, like, they couldn't get migrate their entire player base because, like, the first game says that the uh, peak subscriptions for the World R1 is uh, 20 million subscribers. Uh, GU says that it's kind of, like... It's doing it. It's doing as well as it's going to do, and it's at twelve, which you know, still yeah, excellent numbers for any subscription MMO. But still, one of those things where it's like, well, that's a huge tail off. Uh, one of those, one of those things where, uh, again, .hackgu is very uh, good at reading the audience. Yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, this is another one that's primarily for me and Wheels. Uh, is it just me, or is the aesthetic of sci-fi shooters getting boring? Halo and Dead Space had such memorable looks when they came out. Their aesthetics have been done to death. I mean, there's just not as many of them anymore. And that means there's even fewer that are trying to make a new like look for sci-fi shooters because like the the money went all into modern military shooters mm. also i feel this uh pose that rianosuke had a lot just it's like clutching your head in your hands <laughs> it's a genre that follows the trends really closely and the trend moved away from something else and Eventually, yeah. there will be something new and original and crazy, and that will suddenly be popular, and everyone will try to copy it again. We kind of just did that, actually. It just wasn't sci-fi. Like, we moved from the military shooter to the battle royale shooter, the cartoony, like, hero shooter in some sense, mixed into that as well. Like, Overwatch in some sense was a sci-fi shooter, and I hate mm -hmm. bringing it up right now, but yes... Uh, and briefly, that was the trend to chase. But, you know. The other thing is that you just don't see as much... Like, it, there are fewer, like, hangers-on for any given trend because video games are really expensive and time-consuming to make. Yeah. Also, um, I feel like trends are more gameplay-wise now than they are necessarily stylistically. Yeah, like there's a lot of battle royales, but there's not necessarily they a don't lot look of, like each other. Yeah, there's not a, a lot style-wise connecting them. It's more just the gameplay style. Yeah, I do. There is a period that I mildly miss. Like, go back and look at like a preview section of a 2002 video game magazine and see how many cel shaded games you find. And in fact, how many cel-shaded games you find where their only selling point seems to be a cel-shaded version of X genre. Like, that's when you start running into, like, the weird stuff, like Automodelista, which was, like, a simulation racing game with that was at least trying to be, like, realistic and car-focused, but is cel-shaded for some reason. I don't know why, <laughs> but it happened. 
Uh, will there ever be an original puzzles uh, adventure type game that replicates success and cultural impact of Mist? No. Uh, even Mist itself kind of couldn't do that. Uh, Mist is best is most importantly and critically remembered as a game used to sell CD drives. <laughs> like the. Everything about how it was constructed was designed to make it easy to access data off of a CD and to use, to leverage the technology of a CD. Like, and that made it very good for computer stores that were demoing, hey, look, this computer has a CD drive. Look at what those can do. And uh, <laughs> there's not really that kind of incentive in any, well, one, you don't go to a computer store. Right? Two, uh, there's not really any incentive to use that to demo software. Usually you would just be like, hey, look, this plays game, or this has a movie. Like, that's that's kind of what you sell, or look at this very nice screen. Here's a UHD movie that plays on this very nice, like, 4K Yeah, um... So, uh, normally I would probably say we should, uh, we should probably, like, dial back a bit, because we're, at, like, ten questions in, but, uh, this one is important to me as a human being. Mm -hmm. Uh, how, how much of a disappointment is Alundra 2 compared to the original? Uh, I'm gonna tell you a lovely, lovely story, fine, fine, all else listening. Uh, when I bought Alundra 2, I paid 70 cents for it, brand new, at a, uh, like, game crazy, I would assume. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I overpaid by about $40. Um, that game is terrible. Uh, <laughs> it has every problem that Alundra has, except now it's incredibly ugly and lacks the, uh the interesting melancholy nature of Alumbra and is just a very boring bad uh, kind of awkward to play and control game uh, starring a jackass uh, so yeah uh, nothing but unkind words for that and a pox upon uh, the idea of it ever being uh, referenced again <laughs> okay I'm done why, well, yes, I am going to clarify my prior joke. Yes, I believe they owed me an additional $39 just for having played it. <laughs> uh, probably hit a couple more questions. Uh... Is the curse of Wolf Team to never create a masterpiece? As much as I love Tales and their Genesis output, they always stop short of greatness, and a lot of times you could feel the love that they put into their games, too. Uh, they had an extremely... Uh, describe this. Uh, for those less immediately aware, 
uh, Wolf Team made a lot of weird, often kind of janky video games. Uh, but they typically did not make a lot of really good ones. Uh, they did eventually become Namco Tail Studio, which is why that was brought up in this uh, period, but uh, their list of other games is as random as it is gigantic. Uh, they they made so many uh, games for during that period. Uh, I want to say with Ballesters, Ballast seems like it would have been in there. Uh, yep, yep, Wolf Team. Uh, Ballast is extremely. Uh, let's see, well, technically they were part of Telenet Japan, which. Telenet Japan was a larger company. Uh, other things that... Uh, that uh, they would have touched would be like other things that are long forgotten, such as uh, Ernest Evans. Uh, they just they made a lot of weird garbage. They cut together an arbitrary selection of like Lupin the Third clips then renamed Lupin to Cliff and called the resultant game Cliffhanger. Extremely strange. Uh, I have no idea uh, I, I have no idea why that game happened. Uh, but yeah uh like, I think that they were somehow involved in Cliffhanger, which is extremely strange. Uh, but yeah, Wolf Team, Wolf Team made weird, weird trash. Uh, I would not say... They, they've kind of gone in the opposite directions here, because Wolf Team's problem when they were a going concern as Wolf Team was that they were too weird and too interested in making too much strange garbage. Their problem as Namco's Tail Studio is that it's very hard for them to make something that stands out because all of their games are much more heavily like formulaic and regimented. Like the opposite ends of the problem. Uh, the spirit, like Wolf Team, when Namco Tail Studio happened, Wolf Team kind of diasporated into like five different companies. Uh... Notably, they became uh, partly Triace, and Triace kind of carried a lot of the weird Wolf Team DNA. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, I, I, I would say that they are a company... Uh, Gonna, I'm going to quote the late, great Hunter S. Thompson and say that they were too weird to live. Uh, like, I need the I need the proper. Uh, yeah, I need the. Yeah, uh, just going to pull up. Uh, one of the uh, most famous quotes from Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Uh, 
Corwolf team was one of God's own prototypes. High-powered mutant of some kind, never intended for mass for mass production. Too weird to live and too rare to die. And that's why we have like three different wolf teams now, and all of them are in a constant state of undeath. <laughs> As well as Alpha you System. Just... Yeah, kinda. It's like they make good games as long as you keep them on a leash. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and we will hit one more before we close the curtain on this. Uh, yes. On that topic, would you call Tales games except the first one as friend chasers. Whenever they tried to add something new, that thing had already existed before in a successful game, except for the combat system. That was kind of their defining thing. It's like 007 films borrowing elements from other contemporary action movies. I mean, like, they are... Tales games are... I would describe them as comfort food RPGs. <laughs> uh, I mean, they're, they're successful because you generally know what they're going to be going in. Yeah, and so I think that, like, it... it Trend chasers would imply a more radical reinvention, whereas more it's just they sort of incorporate elements from what has become JRPG into themselves over time. <laughs> but, yeah. Not sure if anyone else has uh, different outstanding opinions on this, but... Uh, yeah, uh... Like that, that is a charge you could theoretically make, depending upon uh, how you interpret the phrase trend chaser, I guess. Uh... Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm watching Wheels play Great Ace Attorney now and with rapt attention. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> this is probably a it's bad fine, idea. No, no, it's fine. Uh, but yeah. Uh... The, uh, it's one of those things they, they incorporate into themselves what has become like an agreed upon staple for the most part, uh, because they, they don't want to rock the boat. And I mean, that is in a sense friend chasing, uh, but like every, like every RPG on some level is kind of doing this to some greater or lesser extent. Like Final Fantasy games became, uh, action RPGs because that is what the assumption that consumers want is so they go after that uh, like the least friend chasing of RPGs like if you wanted an RPG that was not uh, attempting to follow whatever trend was popular it's Dragon Quest that's your, that's your option <laughs> uh, but yeah like that's the only one that I would like look at and say that's not chasing any specific friend or concept uh, they are uh, the most confident in their identity but like you look at anything like Shin Megami Tensei or Persona is very reflective of what's popular in anime when they're made uh, same with Tales of really Th same with most RPGs because like they're all kind of drawing from the same uh, youth uh, like stone interest Yeah. Okay. But yeah, uh, that's uh, 13 questions. 
uh, probably enough for anyone's money. Uh, <laughs> Gaijin. And looking ahead at the next few, that would take a few, much too long to try and talk through the next few. Yeah, so, so. we'll save those for next week. Or the week after next, I should say. But uh, since we won't be here next week, Gaijin, you need to plug twice as hard. <laughs> okay. So, okay, no pressure, huh? Well, <laughs> if you enjoyed the tabletop gaming experience or if you enjoy reading or watching material related to it, and let us be honest, in this current global situation, we are more likely to be enjoying the stuff virtually online than actually face-to-face. Boo-hoo. Um, well, we have a series of stories for you, um, all about some lovely young ladies and occasional gentlemen learning the ins and outs of gaming experience at, every weekend at a pizza parlor. Um, it's Princesses of the Pizza Parlor by Michael Yadimizu. It is available on Kindle, Kindle Unlimited, and a couple different paperback editions available. Um, it currently has uh, nine episodes, two side stories, and a really long... Um, week lo or week-long interval at summer camp published <laughs> to a total of somewhere over 400,000 words extant, I think. Oh, yeah. It's kind of hard to count at some point, you realize. Yeah, so, it's, uh, it's long. <laughs> yeah. So if, you just, if you'd like to check it out, I would just be tickled to death. Um, if you have Kindle Unlimited, go ahead, just read it for free on point of access. And uh, let me know what you think, please. So, yeah, write a nice Amazon review if you could. Yeah. Because some people can manage to get like 50 Amazon reviews in the first three weeks of publication. I do not know how these people do it. I am not sure if Ops. I want to step down to the levels that some of these people probably stoop to do it. Um <laughs> Um, I heard a joke once about how you should ignore the first 100 reviews on anything self-published because it's all family and friends doing the reviewing, and every single response to that tweet was along the lines of, how did you talk 100 of your friends and family into actually reviewing? Yeah, how do you have that many people? How do you have that much friend and family? That's terrifying. <laughs> I mean, I do have an extended clan of family members that probably numbers higher than 100, but at the same time, convincing them all to do one thing altogether is next to impossible. <laughs> so... So. Yeah, but uh, that's what I mean, that's I'm where you come in, dear What? Oh, I was saying that's where you come in, what dear listeners. <laughs> oh yes, yes, that is where you come in, dear listeners. Please, please, please do not make me beg. Um, I'm, I'm almost as bad at begging as I am at publicly promoting myself. Seriously, I'm awful at it. Yes, I'll do the begging. Do yeah, it for thank me. You, thank you very much. Don't make me cry. I will. I'll cry. I'll cry on the podcast. Just saying. <laughs> well, you can, I don't want to make that a reward a, is the problem. You can leave a rating or review too, Dave. You know that. <laughs> I could, but I don't have Kindle Unlimited. That said, I will give my I will give it my all. Okay. I've got a bit of spare cash, so I can at least grab one. <laughs> <laughs> I can grab it, and I did so try to can keep you. It relatively inexpensive. Indeed. Uh, yes. So yes, Princesses of the Pizza Parlor available wherever Amazon is sold. Wait, no. Uh, see. Uh, no Sunday night Neptunia torture for wheels this week. 
because we also will be on vacation. I have uh, absolutely nothing to plug except uh, the podcast that you're listening to right now. Uh, also, to Tam in the chat, I'm sorry that we're ending here. Uh, but, uh, yeah, uh, the podcast you're listening to right now, which you can participate in in your own way by sending us questions. We love them. We'd love to hear from them. Thanks once again to Fireminer for providing many of our, for providing 13 of our, all 13 of our questions today. Um, uh, our lucky number 13. Um, but yeah, uh, Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, but yeah, sorry, I'm, I'm just staring. Uh, but yeah, uh, I'm just watching the gears turn and wheels. <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, you can ask us questions. They go in the comments section for this very episode, or you can put them in the podcast section of the Discord. Discord's a lovely place. You can find it by going to rpgamer.com and clicking the community tab, and you'll find an invite there. A lot of nice people there. A lot of great discussions happen. Always love to hear from you. In any case, uh, you guess wrong. Wheels, did you check that uh, that business card again? Sorry. Um, maybe flip it over. But, uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, ask questions. We love hearing from them. And I mean, we love hearing from questions, but it's also good to hear other people's questions. The variety is the spice of life. You can also ask questions in the... Uh, chat when we stream, which will likely be two Wednesdays from when this is recorded, which means probably like the day after this goes up. <laughs> but yeah. Such uh, but yeah. Uh, if you are if you are listening to this right when it goes up, presumably if uh, we will be recording on the twenty fifth of August. Uh, so join us in the chat. Watch uh, watch many of the lovely RP gamers streams. Uh, but yeah. Uh, otherwise, see you, Space Cowboys. I need to instruct Wheels on what information see he should uh, be picking up here. Yes, we're gonna keep streaming this on my channel for a bit. So, but uh, <laughs> peace out. Peace out. See you, Space Cowboys. Yeah.